you have your Bibles, Colossians chapter two. Are you guys excited to be in the house of God? Are you ready for a word this morning from God? I'll tell you, I'm ready to preach it if you're ready to receive it. Colossians 2, 6, and we do got some verses, 6 through 15. This is what it says. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. Someone say in him. him. Rooted and built up in him. Someone else say in him. him. Strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him, someone say in him, the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily. In other words, the fullness of the glory of God rested in the Son of God, displayed through the Son of God, revealed to you and I through Jesus. And you have been filled in him. Someone say in him. Listen, we're going to get this deep down in our heart. In him. We've been filled in him who is the head of all rule and all authority. In him, we won't say it again, but in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without Hands by putting off the body of the flesh by circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, in the glory of God. You've been raised with him with the glory of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses. And the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgive us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. How many of you realized that, that the legal demand of sin on your life is debt? And that's what Jesus took away for you. It, it was on you. There was no way of escaping it. And Jesus took it away. This he set aside by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them all. Someone shout all. All. In him. Just one more time. In him. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray right now, Lord, that you would help me speak it with a boldness and with your anointing. Touch every heart. Let it be like a, a seed planted on fertile soil today. That it would produce a, a crop of fruit for your kingdom, 30, 60, 100 fold. And I pray that right now in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Hug your neighbor. Tell him you love him. Have a seat. Tell him you love him. You love him in the Lord. <clears throat> Jimmy, you have no shame. He put on my water bottle, go blue. <clears throat> I'm getting ready to preach, trying to get into the spirit of God, and he's trying to put me in the flesh by talking about Michigan. That's hilarious. I was like, I got somebody else's water bottle. Stinking Jimmy. Go blue. Well, good morning, CWC. How y'all doing today? Are you good? Come on, if you believe God is good, someone shout, God is good. 
Man, we serve a good God. We serve a good and gracious God. Well, I tell you, man, it's, it's good to see you this morning. It's, it's good to be bringing the word of God uh, to you this morning. It's been five whole weeks since I preached last. And you know what? I've gotten mixed reviews and mixed feelings on this, right? I've had some people say to me, Pastor, I keep coming because you ain't preaching. Well, I got other people... <laughs> Well, God bless them. And then I got other people saying, hey, I'm not going to come till you are preaching. And, and obviously the former is the minority. The latter is the majority in Jesus' name. But <clears throat> some of you will catch it later. But yeah, man. I, <clears throat> no, but seriously, it's, it's, it's such a blessing to be able to share the word of God with our body. And man, I miss it when I don't get to do it. And I tell you, though, man, I'm very grateful for all the incredible men and women of God that God has put around us for us for our joy. And, and I'm telling you, man, all the, the, the speakers that came in and shared with you guys, and do you know the Bible says this, give honor where honor is due, that we're to give honor to people and honor them. And, you know, with that being said, man, I want to honor Dr. Peter Jowdry, man. He always does an incredible jo job. Um, Mr. Zach Rakavan did an awesome job. Bethany Marshall, incredible woman of God. And last but not least, Pastor Nicholas Acevedo. Everybody came up to me and said, what was he talking about tripping kids? I'm like, that's what they do in Puerto Rican culture. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not Puerto Rican. You know, I, I don't understand it. I wouldn't trip your kid, just to be clear. But he's hilarious. No, but, that, but they all did such, such a great, great job. But man, it's good to be back. And man, we're, we're going to hop right into this thing. Ready or not, here I come. All right, because I got a word. This thing's been stirring for, for weeks and weeks on end, and it's, it's like a fire shut up inside of my bones. I'm ready to get it out and give it to you, and whatever you do with it, it's between you and God, okay? So don't shoot the messenger. That's all I am, um, and I'm just going to tell you what, what God told me and what God says in his, his word, but first, man, I want to I wanna just talk to you about this study that I found several weeks ago. I'm not, trying to, I'm not gonna try to give you a time frame, like how many weeks, because I'm terrible at that. Like my wife always tells me, stay away from time frames. You never say it right. So several weeks ago, I ran into this study conducted by the Barna Group. And you have heard me mention the Barna Group up here before, if you've been here any amount of time at church. Um, and and what, what, what this group is, is a Christian research group, okay? And they release all types of different studies. Now, if I had to sum up what is their mission um, in America, it would be very simply put this way, that what they're trying to do is inform us of how Christianity is doing in our country. And obviously, they do that through a bunch of different studies. I mean, that's a big, broad topic, Christianity in America, right? And they do it from all types of cool, different perspectives. And, and man, they're very, man, they're legit. They, they, they've uh, garnered a lot of credibility over the years, and so for 35 years now. And, um, but anyway, I, I love that because it does give us a, a framework of, of what we're dealing with in the country that we, we live in. Now, what I don't love about it are the results of it. I don't love about, what I don't love about the studies is how Christianity is doing in our country. I don't love that. Matter of fact, what you see is pretty heart-wrenching and upsetting, to be honest with you. Obviously, I don't have time to go into every one of these different studies, but, but, I, but I do have enough time today 
to go through one of the studies that impacted me uh, to, to my very core. And so I want to address that with you. And, and, this, and this study that, that they released, it wasn't a study that dealt with America as a whole, right? Like they have studies like that, but this study didn't do that. What this study dealt with was the church in America, specifically those who call themselves the church, those that would label themselves as Christians. This is what this study came, came out to, to draw attention to, and it showed how America, how American churches actually view Christianity and how the, the, the American church views faith as a whole and, and how faith is actually shaping their life, shaping the way they view the church and shaping the way they view this, this world, right? And I'll tell you, as a pastor, I'm, I'm way more concerned with the state of the church than I am with the state of the world. Hear me. I am way more concerned with the state of the church than I am with the world. I'm concerned with how the church is allowing the word of God to shape their view of the world, right? And, and, and here's, here's simply why I say that. Because, see, the world didn't sign up for Christianity, it didn't sign up for that. The world is supposed to do what the world does. Hear me. When I was in the world and of the world, I did exactly what the world did. Okay? I was right with them. I mean, I just blended right on in with them. Right? So it, it, doesn't, it doesn't surprise me. But see, when I gave my life to Christ, I was supposed to put away worldly things. I was supposed to put those things away. Right? I was supposed to begin to view the world through the word. That's how I was supposed to start living my life my life. And we do that as we cling to the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ, right? This, this, this beautiful truth that Jesus gave his life as a living sacrifice and then rose again from the dead. We're to cling to that with everything that is, that is within us and allow that to shape our thoughts, our motives, our ideas, our, our all, everything that we are that's supposed to shape that. And my point in saying all that is this, I'm not vexed or perplexed about the state of the world. That, that completely makes sense to me. I completely understand it. Now, look, let, let, me, let me caveat all that by saying this. Does it break my heart when I see people in the world strung out on drugs and alcohol? You, you better believe it. Does, it. does it grieve me to my very spirit and my, and, and my soul when I see people struggling in a sinful lifestyle, whether that be sex outside of marriage, whether that be a homosexual lifestyle, whether that be an adulterous lifestyle, whether that, that, that be a perverted lifestyle, whatever lifestyle that they're living in the world, of course it grieves me to, to, my, to my very soul and it, and it breaks my heart to see people profiting the whole world, getting all this stuff, but yet forfeiting their soul. Absolutely, you, you know, it breaks my heart. And so I pray constantly, Lord, help us to be able to be you to them, to reveal to them the goodness of God in the land of the living. But at the same time, I'm not surprised by it one bit. I'm not surprised by it when I, when I see it in the world. But as a pastor, right, I'm, I'm way more concerned with the state of the church than I am the state of the world. I'm, I'm way more concerned with how those in the church are living their lives in Christ and for Christ than I am with those in the world. As a pastor, my first priority is to build and, and to edify the saints in their faith. That's my job. My first priority and my, and my first 
focus. But see, I, I actually, I see a lot of times, including myself, I'm not pointing fingers, but I see a lot of pastors, right, so focused on what's happening in the world that it takes their focus off the church is, is exactly what happens. I, I hear pastors say things like, Jesus is returning soon because of all the craziness in the world. And, and hear me, hear me, hear me. I understand what they're saying. I get what they're saying because Jesus does say, in the end times, these will be the signs. And when you see these different things taking place, the craziness in the world, know that the end is drawing near to you, right? So absolutely, I get what they're, what they're saying. And I do believe we are to draw attention to those, those things, right? However... We can't become focused on those things because this is what the Bible says. The Bible says that the Christ will return for his bride, one without spot, blemish, or wrinkle, a completely cleansed bride in the blood of the Lamb of God. That's what's gonna cause Christ's return. It's the bride. The state of the church will cause him to get up and the father say, go get your bride. Son, I prepared a bride for you, go get her. That's what's going to cause the Christ to, to return. Not, 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 listen, all the craziness is a sign of his return is near, but it's not the focus of his return. Hear me. The focus of the bridegroom's return is the, is the bride. His focus is on the bride. Just like, like for me, man, on my wedding day, my focus wasn't on the preacher. I promise you. I didn't care about that dude, didn't care what he looked like, didn't care what he said, didn't, wasn't worried about any of that, didn't care about how beautiful the venue was. Once the wedding started and she started marching towards me, my focus was on my bride. I could care less what else was happening, right? Because I'm like, oh my gosh, the woman that I love, my best friend in the world, she's on her way to me. God gave her to me and I am focused on her. My focus has been on her ever since, I'm just saying. She tells me all the time, she says, you're, you're, you're obsessed with me, but in a good way, but in a good way, not in a creeper way. Hopefully it was the same for you on your wedding day, by the way, seriously. I hope you were so focused on your bride that nothing else mattered because that's what, that's what the bridegroom is doing right now. He's focused on his bride, church. And so our focus, first and foremost, better be on the bride. It better be on the church. We better be concerned with the way the church is viewing the world through the lens of, of, the, of the word. But, but yes, because, man, listen, we're, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. We're in it, but we're not of it. And hear me, we better get this through our, our thick heads, hear me. We better get this through our thick heads. This is so important. Because the word of God says this, if you're a friend of the world, you're an enemy of God. Listen to me, that's intense. If you are a friend to this world, if the world would consider you a friend, like you can just blend in right with them and no one can tell the difference between your life and their life and you enjoy the things of the world, the Bible says you're an enemy of God. That's not me, that's the Bible. And so, man, we got to be a people. Yeah, we're in the world, but we're not, we're not of it at all. And you can tell a stark difference between us and them. We better be. See, we can't afford to act like the world. 
We can't afford to look like the world. We can't afford to sound like the world. We can't afford to get mixed up in all the things that the world has to offer, offer us at all. And so today I just want to spend a few more minutes with you, talking with you through a message that, that I titled, A Christian's Faith. A Christian's Faith. Because see, we, we must be living this life in Christ. We must be living it in him. Our view of the church, our view of the world must be coming through the lens of the, of the word. Every, every single bit of it. Every one of them. And you know, when the, when the Lord put this sermon on my heart weeks, 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 weeks ago, he reminded me of that, that study I'd mentioned at the beginning of this monologue, I guess you would say. This Barna Group study, he reminded me of it. And see, what this Christian research group did, it was really interesting what they did. They went around to all these different churches, okay? And they began to, to ask all these different leaders in all these different churches, right? They, they asked them all, right? The senior pastor, the associate pastor, the teaching pastor, the children and youth pastor, and what they found was astounding and, and not in a good way. It wasn't outstanding. It was astounding in what this, this group un, uncovered. And the question was, what was their biblical world view? In other words, they were wanting to know what these le- leaders, how, how these leaders let the word of God shape their lives. That's what they were asking them. They, they wanted to know what was shaping the way that they viewed the world and what, what decisions that they made every single day and how they viewed the church, what the church was supposed to look like. And what they found was this. They found that 41%, only, only 41% of senior pastors have a correct biblical worldview. Now think of 41% actually look at the word of God and allow the word of God to shape every aspect of their life. Only 41%. That's well less than half of the lead pastors, pastors shepherding full congregations, ministries running in and out of them, them overseeing and conducting all these different things. You know how many things I oversee in a week? It's insane. These guys are seeing, these women are seeing these things, and they're the ones supposed to be leading it, but they don't even have a correct biblical worldview. They don't even view the word of God correctly. So now wonder the church has found itself in a very difficult place in the day and age that we live in. See, see, they've made it about this, really, the gospel, all about this wishy-washy, flaky story. Like, like that's literally what we've done to the gospel. We've made it so weak, and so it's just all about you, and it's all about me and how we feel, and it's just not the truth. That's not the Bible. The gospel is a powerful, powerful thing that is supposed to live in us and move through us and cause us to live completely different than everyone around us. That's the word of God. And only 41% of senior pastors believe that. Who knows what else? This is why we, we hear them preaching, you know, five ways to get rid of your anxiety. I'm going to give you one way and that's Jesus. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication, make your request known to God and he will be the one to remove those things. I'm not going to tell you five steps to do it. I'm going to give you one. His name is Jesus. He is the all-sufficient one or he's not. He either is or he isn't. 
This idea that we got to add things to him and subtract things from him in order to get everything we need on this earth is just a bunch of malarkey. I'll use malarkey because I got to keep it clean. In him, in him. It only gets worse from there. Listen to me, it only gets worse from there. Only 28% of associate pastors have a correct biblical worldview. The number two, the number two in charge, only 28% of them out of the 100% in the American church has a correct biblical worldview. It drops again by more than half when it gets to the teaching pastors. Now think about that. So the teaching pastors in America, only 13% have a correct biblical worldview. That's the ones that are supposed to be sitting down and teaching you how to interpret the word of God and how to live your life according to the word of God and what the church is supposed to be doing on the earth, only 13%. The next number drops again with children and youth pastors. Only 12% of children and youth pastors actually view the word of God correctly. These are the people leading our children, leading our young people, well, supposed to be leading them into Jesus, right into Jesus, being filled in him. And only 12% of them actually understand what the word of God is meant to do. Only 12% allow the word of God to shape every view of their life, which is, is crazy, which is crazy, man. My goodness. See, listen to me. My, my point in saying all that is this. If we want to see the return of the, of the bridegroom, we want to re- see the return of the Christ, the bride better get its act together and quickly and quickly. But the only way we can do that is if we know actually what we're, we're called to be doing as the church. We, we got we to gotta know that first. You see, so often we, we've, we've made it about how how we feel. Church is about how we feel and about how other people feel. And so I can't say a lot because it might offend this group. Even if it's in the word of God, I can't say that because it could be offensive to them. Or it's about what we like. See, church has got to stop being about what we like. Oh, I'm not going because I don't really like the worship music there. It's too loud. I'm not really going because I don't like the way they don't have a cafe. Well, we got one. Other people say, I don't like it because they do have one. Right? Like so, you can't win. You can't win. It don't matter. But it's got to stop being about how we feel and what we, and what we like. You know, Pastor Nicholas, he, he did a great job last week, and he talked about a legacy of faith. And he reminded us of how important this is for you and I to be leaving our family with a legacy of faith. That it's way more important than leaving them some thriving business. It's way more important than that, to leave them a legacy of faith. But, but you know what, what, the Lord, what the Lord said to me? Right after that, Matt, literally, as I'm sitting there listening, I'm like, oh, that's good, that's good. The Lord said, yeah, but, but if, if you don't have the, the right faith, you'll leave the wrong legacy. If you don't have the right faith, you'll leave the wrong legacy. And I see this often in people. I see this often in people. I see people who took their kids to church every single Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and all that's good. But, but they left them a legacy of religion and not a legacy of relationship. This, this thing is all about relationship, being in him. That's the whole point of this walk with God. See, I see families leaving these legacies of good morals and good work ethics and good ethics, period but yet they're not leaving a legacy of being on fire for God. I'm not talking about just coming in to check a box. I'm talking about so hungry, so thirsty for the things of God that nothing satisfies you. Nothing, sat- nothing in this world, nothing will satisfy this burning desire to get along with the king. 
They're not leaving that legacy. And hear me, hear me, good morals and good ethics and good work ethic, we need those things. I mean, we need those things. But listen, when, you, when you're lit on fire for God, all that stuff comes, I promise you. But I'm gonna tell you right now, good morals and good ethics aren't getting your kids into heaven. They ain't getting you into heaven either. It's the fire of God. It's this passion and this desire to be righteous above all else, to live, to live for him. See, if we, we don't have the right faith, we'll leave the wrong, the wrong legacy for people. And I tell you, man, I don't, I don't know about you or what your heart is for your family, but this is something I contend for with the Holy Spirit. We go at it in the prayer closet because I want this for my kids, man. I didn't have a family, I didn't have a dad who raised me in the ways of the Lord to leave me a legacy. No, 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 God had to do that in spite of him, not because of him, right? And that's okay, he didn't know no better either. He didn't have a dad to raise him either. So there was this long legacy left to our family, but God broke it with me, amen. Broke it with my dad too, my dad's a man of God. So it's awesome. But man, my heart is, man, Lord, I wanna have the right faith so that I leave the right legacy. I wanna make sure I'm placing it in the correct faith. But man, I, I tell you, I, I have this desire for my kids to have the fire of God, not just a passion for sports. And I'm super passionate. Anybody around me with sports, I'm super passionate about it. But man, I want the fire of God to rest on my kids more than, more than any more than any of that. I want my kids to have this desire to know him and the power of his resurrection. That's what I want for them. And so man, for us, to, in order to impart that to the next generation, we first, we first have to have it. We've got to have the right faith. We've got to have a Christian's faith in order to leave the right legacy. And listen, this can be really easy to get off a track. I mean, it can be real easy. I'm telling you, I've seen some incredible men of God, women of God, start believing something off and, man, mess them all up. And it wasn't like they meant to. It just, over time, because they weren't consistently and constantly in the word of God and worrying about people's feelings and how they felt and what they liked and what they didn't like. Man, listen, as soon as it becomes selfish, you're in trouble. As soon as church becomes about you, you're in a very dangerous place. Hear me. Same with me. As soon as church, and it's, believe, believe me, there's been multiple times when it's come about me and God had to crush me. And I thank him for that. But it can't become selfish and about us. And see, we've got to make sure that, that we have sound doctrine. This is why the, the word of God warns us. Make sure you have sound doctrine doctrine. Make sure you have correct faith and that you're living in, in him. You know, the apostle Paul, right? He, he writes all kinds of, kinds of stuff in the New Testament. It's incredible. He wrote 70 some percent of the, of the books in the New Testament. But, but, he, but he tells in first Timothy, right? Chapter four, he's encouraging this young pastor named Timothy. And he, and he says to him, he says, hey, make sure you're preaching the true faith in him. That's what he says. Make sure you're preaching the true faith in him. Why? Because the last days are coming. And in the last days, many will depart from the true faith. Why? Because they won't have a correct biblical worldview. They, they won't view the Bible correctly. They don't view the, the church in the way the church is supposed to operate correctly. And see, listen to me. This is where we find the church right now, because right? listen, I really believe we are in the last days. I believe we are. There's so many things that are, are taking place that it's like, okay. That's why the, the bride has to get its act together so Jesus takes us out of this mess. I'm just saying, before it even gets worse. 
but we are. And so, man, we, we gotta make sure that we're not departing from the true faith. And, and Paul, right, he, he tells Pastor Timothy, he says, look, if you bring these things to the attention of the church, if you tell the church about it, that they better not, they better not get a, a, an incorrect view of the, of the word of God. If you tell them about it, then you'll be a good servant of Christ. That's what you'll be. And you'll have sound doctrine, trained in sound doctrine is the way he says it. In other words, what, what Paul is simply trying to get across to, to Timothy is, is, is this, man. We must remain focused on the true faith, focused on the church, focused in the word of God. And see, Paul's letter to the church in Colossae here, right, is exactly what he's trying to get across. He's trying to get their view corrected. He's trying to get their lens corrected. He's trying to get them focused on the state of the church and what the church's purpose is. He's, he's making sure that they're operating in faith correctly. The church is viewing how they should be living correctly. And so he starts off in, in verse six like, like this. He says, so then, just as you received... Christ Jesus is Lord. Just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord. And I love that because this is what he's very simply saying. He's saying you better have received Jesus as the Lord of your life. And, and what you've got to realize is Paul is writing to the church. Hear me. He's writing to people who call themselves Christians, right? He's not trying to evangelize non-Christians, because if he, if he was, he would have dressed it a little different, I believe. I believe he would have said, hey, you need to receive Jesus as Savior. Like, you need to, to ask him to be your Savior first. But he, but he doesn't. He's talking to Christians. He says, no, no, you need to ask him to be Lord. So not only do you have Jesus be the Savior of your life, but then he has to become Lord of your life. And, and I'm, I'm telling you, listen, when it comes to, to Jesus being Lord over our life, that's, that's tough. That's not an easy thing to do because that means we give him the right to shape everything about our life, not just certain things, not just the things that we're willing to allow him to shape. No, no, no. When he becomes Lord, he shapes it all. He has say in every single aspect of your life. That means your bank account. That means your, your, your marriage. That means your children. That means every single stinking bit of it. That means your career. It's all his. And it's all, all him who is shaping, shaping it. I mean, to the point to where you don't even start posting on Facebook without running it by God. That might sound really silly, but I'm dead serious. Dead serious. Where you start running it by him. Lord, said I... Ah, that's not going to edify or bill. I, I, won't, I won't do that. So to the point where you, you, you start to, to interact with people and things that you want to say that you used to say, you don't say no more. Because the Holy Spirit's like, oh, no, nope, no. Nope. Happens to me all the time. <laughs> Praise the Lord for that. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. And I also have my wife. She's like the Holy Ghost. She's like, hey. I go, my bad. Yeah. When, when Jesus is Lord, man, he rules our entire life. He rules everything. He has complete rule. And, and you know, what I find is, and, and it's the same with my life, I don't mind Jesus being Savior. Like, I'm really cool with that. Most people are. Most people are like, we're cool with Jesus saving us from bad stuff, right? Like, we're cool with Jesus saving us from that enemy, that roaring lion roaming around seeking whom he may devour. We're cool with him saving us from that, 
But when we're talking coming Lord of our life, that's a whole different commitment because that means we gotta have an unbridled commitment to his will and his way and his word. It's unbridled. When we see it, we do it. When God reveals it, we do it. We don't even ask questions. We don't even care. Lord, we'll just, we'll just do what you're asking me to do. This is what happens when he becomes Lord of our, our lives. And here's the thing. When he becomes Lord, we actually lose our lives. We lose our lives. And, and, and here's what's tough for, 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 for us. Some of us really like us. No, seriously. Like we actually like ourselves. We like our dreams. We like our passions. We like our goals. We like the things that we hold dear and we put in high esteem. We, we like ourselves. But man, when, when Jesus becomes Lord, it's no longer about what we like anymore. No, no, we lose ourselves. We completely lose ourselves, And it's no longer about my dreams. It's no longer about my vision. It's no longer about my goals. It's no longer the moment Jesus become Lord. And I tell you, I think about it every day because I'm like, man, if I would not made you Lord, I'd have been working a whole different career and probably doing it anyway. But, but it's no longer about that anymore of what I wanted, of, of my aspirations to become whatever. It's no longer about that because he's Lord. So now what he says goes. So in order to make Jesus Lord of our, our life, we have to lose our life. And in the process, the Bible says then we'll find it. And we'll find it in him. Then we find it in him. So look, if, if we want to make sure that we are living according to the true faith, first and foremost, Jesus has to become Lord of our life. He has to be. He's got to go from Savior to Lord. He's got to go from Savior to Lord. If we've had any amount of time serving Jesus, we should be making these progressions with our walk. We should be maturing in him. We shouldn't still be doing the same old stuff we did when Jesus saved us all them years ago. We shouldn't be doing those things. I'm not saying we won't fail. Hear me. A righteous man falls seven times, but every time he gets right back up. But it's not always the same thing. And it's a lot fewer and farther between as you continue to mature in the Lord and the Lord becomes Lord over your life. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. Rooted, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Notice the theme that Paul is doing, and I've drawn attention to it a couple times now, right? He, he's got this theme trying to point out, trying to highlight of how we are to live, live for Christ. Him being Lord of our lives, us living in, in him. And this is what he does, and he continues to do throughout this portion of Scripture. In him, in him, in him, in, 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 in. Making sure that this is beaten and written on the tablets of our hearts. Do you know Jesus says it this way? And I'm, i got to move really fast. What time is it? Oh, yeah, i got to go. I'm not going to get to all this today. John 17, Jesus says this. He says, Father, I pray. I love this. He says, Father, I pray that they would be in me as I am in you. And it's awesome because, listen, he is talking about his disciples and about us. I can prove it further down. You know what he says? He says, and I'm not just talking about them, but also those that will believe in me because of the words of them that they share about me. So that's us. And so he's saying, Father, I pray that they would be in me as I am in you. And this is what he says. He said, Father, I came to this earth only for your glory, just so that your glory could be revealed. See, because, listen to me, because Jesus was in the Father and the Father was in him, 
Jesus was only concerned with bringing him glory. That's it. That's it. I gotta bring glory to my father. I gotta bring glory to God no matter what happens to the point of being obedient even to death, even death on a cross. That's how obedient he was and how much he wanted to glorify his father because he was in in him and so he brought glory to him. And And here's my point. If we will be a people living our lives in Christ, we will only be concerned with bringing glory to Christ. That's it. Nothing else will matter. Nothing else will matter. The rest of the garbage will fade away. What a beautiful place to live. None of the cares and the riches of this world and what people think and this person says and all that nonsense just goes away. And I'm only fixated on bringing glory to God. And see, the word of God encourages us with this. It says, everything you do, do it unto the what? The glory of who? God. Everything you do, everything. Clean your toilet, toilet, do it for the glory of God. Quit complaining and being upset about it. At least I got a toilet. Other people out in the woods. I'm just saying, getting poison ivy, places they don't want. Like, I don't know. I don't know what I'm talking about. <clears throat> My point is... <laughs> My point is, listen to me. When we begin to live our lives in Him, we'll only be concerned with bringing glory to Him. That's it. Nothing else will matter. Something we've got to establish is is this, church. This is what we've got to establish as the church. God saved us for His glory and His glory alone. He did not save you because He was so impressed by you that He couldn't live His eternity without you. That's not why He did it. It's not why he did it. He did it for his glory to say, yep, this is how, how, how powerful I am. This is how good I am. Even that person like me who was addicted to drugs for 15 years of my life, eight of it heroin, even him, even him, my glory can overcome him and overwhelm him and set him free. For my life to bring glory to him, your, your life should be bringing glory. The church should be about the glory of God in the land of the living, period. That's what it should be about. Throughout the scriptures, listen to me, throughout the scriptures, what we see is the Bible say that God saved Israel, what? For his glory. God redeemed his people, why? For his glory. Constantly for the glory of of God, not the glory of us, for the glory of him. The Bible says that the entire universe groans with eager expectation for the glory of God to be revealed through the sons of God. Think about that. All the universe, not just the earth, the universe, the cosmos, it's all groaning for the glory of God to be revealed to us. The Bible says this, as the, as the waters cover the sea, so will the earth be covered by the glory of God. You ever been on a cruise? Well, I have. You're out in the middle of the sea, I hated it. I'll just tell you, I hated it. I was like, oh my gosh, there's no land. But guess what? The sea is covered in sea. Like it's, it's just water. There's nothing else. It's all water. As far as your eye, you can't see anything. Just water everywhere. So scary, actually. There's water everywhere. And as the water covers the sea, so will the earth be covered by the glory of God. In other words, church, listen to me. Choo-choo, because the glory train is coming through. And we can either get on it or we can get run over by it. I promise you that. He's not going to slow down either. The glory of God will not just hold up and wait on you. 
It's going to come and either wash you up in it and you're like, let me get on. Or it's going to run you right over. The Bible says that one day he will come with a robe dipped in blood and the splendor of his what? Of his glory. Striking down all those who oppose him, all those who don't want the glory, who want their own wants, their own desires, their own feelings. They're all concerned about that and not his glory. Those he will just, they'll be gone. The glory train will go right over them. And I don't know about you. I don't want it to hit me. I want to be in it. I want to be in it. The glory of God carrying me. And that's what he desires for the church. But man, the church, the reason it's gotten so off beat, man, is because it's just all about us. and All about what we want. All about what we like. And all the things that we want to do. And instead of God, I, I don't even care if it makes me comfortable. I don't care how it makes me feel. I just want your glory. Listen to me. If, you've, if you would tell me that the glory of God makes you feel comfortable, I'd say you've never experienced it. You've never experienced his glory then because it makes you so uncomfortable. It's the greatest feeling, but at times the scariest too. I heard a woman one time you know, describe it to me like this. I said, well, how, how, how did you feel? She said like, well, I felt like I was having a seizure, but a good one. Like, that's what she said. I said, oh, well, that's interesting. But man, listen, the, the, the glory of God wants to be revealed to his church, but the church has to start being focused on receiving the glory of God and making the church about the glory of God. We gotta be living our lives built in him, strengthened by his glory. See, in verse eight, Paul says what happens. He says, look, he warns us, see to it that you're not overtaken by human traditions and, and, and philosophies and these empty deceits by elemental spirits. Don't, don't do that because listen, human tradition is to make it very selfish. That's our tradition. At least I know it is for me. That's our human nature to be, to be a selfish people. And hear me, the, the elemental spirits love it when you do it, when you make it about you and you get offended because the word was this or the, the worship was that. He loves that. He loves it. Because when we make it about us, God can't be anywhere near us because it cannot be about us. It has to be about him. Paul continues right, to go on in this, in this church, talking to the church in Colossae. And he goes right back in after he says all that, don't, don't get wrapped up in these human traditions. And he begins to reveal to us the in him again, in him, in him, in him. And he begins to tell us plainly who Jesus is. He says, he is the fullness of the glory of God revealed to us plainly in bodily form. The word of God became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory as the only son of God. So this is who he, who he is. That's why we must be filled in him, living our lives in him, only concerned in him. Then he goes on, he starts talking about, oh, I don't have time to read the rest of it, but starts talking about the circumcision. What he's saying there when he starts talking about us being circumcised, he's saying we're putting off the flesh. The old way of doing things, the old thinking, the, the old way of talking, the old way of, of, of dealing with relationships, the, the old has passed away. And behold, the new has come. Everything else is brand new. It's no more of that nonsense where it's about us. He says, it's all been cut off of you, or it should have been cut off of you. And it will be cut off of you if you're living in him, when it's all about him. That we've been buried with him in baptism, but also resurrected with him in the glory, in the glory of God. And I love the way he finishes this text. I love the way he does it, right? Because what he, he's telling us is, is why this, 
this life we, we now live, that we've got to live it in him. And this is what he said, and we're gonna, we're gonna wrap it up right here. This is what he says, and you who were dead in your trespasses in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. It's so good. This he set aside by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the ruler's authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over all of them in him. See, this is why we live our lives in him and for his glory, church. This is why. Because he did what we could not do. He made a way when we had zero way. He did it all. And he did it for us because he loves us. But it's for his glory. Your salvation isn't even for you. It's for his glory. You're just the benefactor. You're just the beneficiary of being made right with God. But it's about the glory of God. And, and look, and, and, and we're closing. Matter of fact, go ahead and stand to your feet. That way it helps me close for you. Maybe, maybe you're thinking today to yourself, right? You're like, well, that seems like a lot. You said a whole lot really fast right there. And I did. And so, so let, me, let me just simplify it even a little more. First things first, have you made Jesus Lord of your life? I'm sure you've made him Savior. You're here. But have you made him Lord of your life? Like where you're like, Lord, yeah, yeah, yeah. I appreciate it. I'm saved. Cool. I'm going to heaven. But there's more. There's more. Do you know there's more? To living for God than just one day making it to heaven. He wants you to have life and life more abundantly here, experiencing His glory right here. And so first things first, maybe, maybe that's what you need to do today. Maybe you need to make that decision. Lord, I, I'm going to make you Lord of my life. And everything I do, everything I do, and everything I say is going to be to your glory. I'm going to be fixated and focused on bringing you glory in my life making you Lord of my life. Man, if that's the first thing that we need to do today, man, let's do it. Let's do it, repent of what we haven't done and move forward. I love that. That's what Paul says, right? He says, hey, forget what lies behind you and press towards your high call in Christ's heavenward. Forget all that. Okay, yeah, yeah. I dropped the ball back here. Believe me, I've dropped the ball plenty of times. But, but you know what? I never stay down in it. Father, forgive me. I do what I gotta do. I confess. I gotta do whatever. And then from there, whatever the word of God tells me to do, I'll do it then move forward and say, Lord, help me, help me to become more like you every day, every head bowed, every eye closed. Yeah, Father, I pray that each and every one of us, Lord, that you would help us be in you. Jesus, help us to, to live this life in you. Lord, forgive us for the times we missed it and the times we've made it about us. Lord, forgive us for that. And I pray, Lord, that you would begin to put this burning desire to see your glory on the earth. I pray that, Lord. I pray it. And Lord, I lift up each and every person that's here. Lord, from this point forward, I pray you'd help us all, Lord, to keep our minds focused on you, how to live this life in you every single day. Holy Spirit, strengthen us to do it. Holy Spirit, cause us to live this way. Let the word of God come alive in our hearts. Let it come alive, Lord, where we allow your word 
to shape our view of the world. And I pray all this in Jesus, Jesus' mighty name.